Hi, my name is Stephen Smith, and this is the 3 Pi Squared Podcast. This is really an offshoot of our ABA Business Leaders Program, where we discuss how to start an ethical and sustainable ABA practice. We go over how to create your LLC tax ID. We talk about revenue cycle management, onboarding employees, mindfulness, and so many other areas. It is a 33 CE event, and it's really targeted towards small ABA practice owners, whether they're wanting to start out or expand their current practice. We're going to be doing this periodically um, and just see how it goes. Um, Our first podcast, so if you're listening, thank you very much. This, um, This has really been a cool project to be on, and I'm very excited that we can bring it in a different platform to a wider audience. Our first speaker, which is really, truly an honor, and I'll get into his intro when we're talking to him, but his name is Marcus Boyd. He is an autism advocate, um, and it was really an honor to speak to him. What you're going to listen to today is part one of our conversation, and we hope to have a second part, um, you know, maybe in the next month or two. So I, um, again, I'm just so honored to have this opportunity uh, and this new platform and um, yeah, uh, leave your comments, please review, uh, let us know what we're doing right, and if there's anything that we can add to this, please let us know, and um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Hello everyone watching, I am truly honored by our speaker that we have today, uh, and I'm gonna do a little intro and then we'll get right into it. Um, This is Marcus Boyd. He is an advocate and voice for the autistic community, bringing awareness to the talents and abilities of those living with autism. Born autistic, Marcus spoke his first words at the age of 13. Uh, He was the first male foster child in Georgia and lived in 16 different foster homes and seven group homes. Despite all the odds, he has gone on to live an exceptional life. In 2018, he was named the Businessman of the Year and the Gospel Rapper of the Year. He is a model CEO, a Special Olympic medalist, and he consider, considers it his life's purpose to help others with autism reach their fir- uh, full potential by supporting the autistic community with funding, adv- advocacy, and outreach. And again, it is my pleasure and honor to have you on here. And so, uh, Marcus, if you don't mind, just telling us a little bit about your story, um, and and we can kind of go from there. Okay. Um, Again, thank you for allowing me to be on your amazing platform. I love everything that your show offers and what y'all are doing to help bring more life in the autism community. Um, My name is Marcus Leonardo Boyd. I'm 38. I was born with autism. I didn't start talking until I was 13, 13 and a half years old. Um, I was in foster care for many years. Um, 
17 different parts on ah 16 to 17 different group homes, uh, 16 inpatients, I mean, 16 mental institutions, four inpatients. Um, I went through everything from electrical shock therapy, where I got electrocuted, or shock with electrocution, every single day, 15 to 20 minutes to force me to take my pills. I was on everything from Ritalin, Paxil, Depakote, uh, Zoloft, um, Seroquel, um, you know, so many, Depakote, so many, you know, other medications from 500 to 1,000 milligrams, uh, two to three pills a day. I didn't get off medication until I was 24. I didn't start talking like this as I'm speaking until I was almost 18. Um, when I started speaking at 13, that was at a two-year-old level. Um, I was still having problems with my bathroom and myself until I was 21, 22 years old. Um, so most people will say now that I'm high-functioning, but when I first got diagnosed, April 12, 1993, by Dr. King at the Clifton Springs Mental Health Center in Decatur, Georgia. You know, it was, you know, that was 93. It was no groups, pamphlets, books, brochures. It, it, was, it was none of that stuff. It was like, okay, you have severe autism. But then my grandma went to so many different other doctors and they telling her the same thing. His life side of his brain doesn't function correctly. They'll never get an education. They'll never un, uh, clothe himself, feed himself. They'll never be on his own. He'll always have to have a caregiver. I've been on my own since I was 17. I mean, and I have a college degree in journalism and mass communications uh, from Ashford University online. And I've been awarded 13 music awards um, as a music producer composer. I have four um, awards as an autism activist. And I've been nominated for a Grammy seven times. So it's not. It's, it's not what doctors say. And at that time, I was going through a lot of physical abuse, mental, sexual abuse. I mean, a lot of stuff was going on as I was coming up. Plus, I was nonverbal. I couldn't talk. I didn't know how to read. My speech therapist, Anna Gibbs, I had a behavior aid. His name was Bob Ortner. I mean, my <laughs> everything was provided by the state of Georgia. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to act. I was in, I, I had IEPs. I went to school for special education. That was the whole school for people with my same problems or more. I mean, I rode short buses. I mean, I, I went through this stuff for years and years and years. <laughs> so, and then my therapist, her name was Berta Luper. So I started dealing with Berta Luper when I was like four and a half, five years old. I didn't stop dealing with Berta Luper until I was like 23, 24. <laughs> so it, it went from client to uh, client, client or, well, it went from her being my therapist to me going to her house, my mom's house, me eating at their house, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It became a, it became a family. This way before the helpful confidentiality law really got into main focus and main um, you know, the main thing with therapy and stuff like that. And she showed up to every honor roll I ever had. I mean, she used to eat lunch with me. And she was my therapist, but to this day, she's my family. Do you, like, you know, you, you said you started speaking at 13 and a half. Like, is there, like, was there a change in services that you were getting? Like, how did, like, all of this come to be? Like, like 
Well, and it gives me to show me pictures. I mean, with any speech therapist or whatever, she can show me pictures or uh, pictures of family or whatever. And at that time, I was speaking at a two-year-old level at 13, 13 and a half. It was not like I was speaking like this. I didn't start speaking like this till I was like almost 18. So um, it was learning how to read stuff on yellow sticky notes. It was muddy. It was hooked on phonics. It was Bible scripture. It was Curious George, the big red dog. It was, it was whatever they can make me pronounce, even if I couldn't pronounce it the correct way, even if I mumbled, if I drew, or if I was lobbying myself, or whatever. If I gave up, if I threw the book across the room, which I did too many times. If I rocked in a corner, if I rocked in a corner, or if I said it's too hard for me just to say C-A-N, you understand what I'm saying? At that time, it was hard for me to say uh, Matt, wet, C-A-N. I couldn't pronounce words or syllables. I didn't understand action words or conjunctions or verbs. I didn't understand none of these things at that time. And I was going on 14 years old. Still not be able to speak in the correct way. Did you have any form of communication system? Or what was uh, life being nonverbal for so long? How were you able to communicate in any way? Yeah, by writing, because I was a good writer. So my sisters used to correct the stuff that I was trying to say. So if I say can, it was C N. It was, it was I was always missing a letter or two. Mm -hmm. And then it was like um with Anna Gibbs, I was working her from like five to 20, 21 years old. So in time, with the Bible scriptures, with the muzzy phonics, with the with the sticky notes around the house, with the, with pointing here, and my sisters are constantly repeating the same words. It'd be like two hours. They're constantly repeating the same words, constantly, this way, this way, and and in regards of how I sounded when I was trying to say it, I still every day had to say these words that were stuck everywhere. In the bathroom, it was room or something of that nature. It was not like my stuff wasn't clear. My stuff was way unrecognizable at that time. And then when you throw when you throw in moving from home to home, physical abuse constantly, being tied up to a heat furnace that didn't work with honey rope, then hitting your dog with a miniature twelve gauge. You understand what I'm saying? You tied it and you add this stuff in there. You already were trying to learn how to speak. You already trying to learn how to verbalize yourself where people can understand. Then you throw that stuff on the other stuff. So it becomes to where you withdraw from even wanting to do anything. There's been many times I said, even if I could say a word, I didn't. Because fear became more of my language uh, than me wanting to. To have confidence. Do you feel like it was very trauma related, your mutism? Um, I don't know if my autism was, I mean, given or you're mute and you're not speaking, do you feel like? Yeah, I, I, do, I, do, I, do, I do feel like some of my non speaking became because of trauma. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was um, embarrassing. You know, when you're four or five years old, you know, you have your biological father try to sister with you and 
and everything else because you can't speak or you're using a bathroom on yourself or you're not catching a basketball or football in the park or whatever, whatever. So the, the punishment that I received because I couldn't do them, those things was more extreme. So me trying to speak or communicate, it came like, I'm not saying nothing because I'm already getting punished four times to say that. Was there a person in your life that like just got you through this? Like, is there one person that you're like, wow, you know, if, if they weren't here, my life just would have taken a, a completely different turn. Like, oh yeah, Brother Luther, my therapist, Dorothy Carr. Um, again, at that time, <laughs> therapy and social work was two separate things. You understand what I'm saying? There was everybody had a title back then. Now some some social workers do four or five different things, but back then everybody they were hiring everybody for one one title a piece. So my social worker and my case and my therapist became best friends. They was going out coffee dates, like they they it was it was different because they came for a common purpose. Me, my social worker put me in her house. This is way, when she had 50 caseloads, she was still putting me in her house, letting me sleep in her house. She was my social worker. It was, it was different because she was like, she's not going to let me die because of who and what I had. She's seen it different. She encouraged me. She used to give me rewards just for me trying to pronounce the word or trying to say uh, a letter or sound or whatever. I mean, we used to go to Crackle Bot. My behavior rate used to take me to Crackle Bell, Golden Trail, Ryan's Ticket. I mean, if I be good for eight hours in school, started Jackson's brain game, I mean, that was, you know, that was my attention for me sitting at my desk, not throwing my, my chair, not having a attention, trying to focus on the teacher. So, Bob Ortner. Uh, Dorothy Carr, the late great Dorothy Carr, and Berta Lupa. Those was my safe place. And you're, you're, I, I believe you're doing a lot of advocacy right now. Do you, do you want to share how that's going? How you, how you're helping? You know, well, I've been, I've been an office activist for four years now. Um, kind of a long story how I got in, but we're going to shorten very quickly. Um, a friend of mine's son has autism. Um, so it was like, how dare you not share your story at my church when you see my son every day with autism and God allows you to speak? Because I didn't want to share my story. As a music producer, I'm in Atlanta, in New York, whatever, whatever. I'm working with whoever uh, artist I'm working with. I don't want them to look at me, make fun of me. I was bullied all of my life. So I don't want them to make fun of me or whatever. So I'm keeping my, my, my situation under the rug. Because I want to seem normal. Now I already not realizing I was already normal. And they do, and they the one with problems. So at the end of the day, I started going to churches. I went to my friend's church first. The receiving and how I was received from this testimony, it changed my life. So I went from churches to schools, from schools to universities, from universities to colleges, from colleges to festivals, from festivals to music, from music events to NAACP meetings, from NAACP meetings to speaking at capitals, 
the different Congress people in Georgia, West Virginia, Detroit. Um, I'm about to do one in Texas where we where we got to talk about ADA therapy, Medicaid, and the inclusion of autism families that may not be able to afford the ADA therapy and different services that they offer. So how can we be able to, as a community, get them the services that they need? <laughs> I mean, that's amazing, right? Like, what are the barriers right now, right? Like, how, like I know, like, even because my wife has an ABA practice, and, and she has a huge wait list, right? Like, there's never enough staff to get to cover all of the kids. Like, so how, what are the barriers that you're, you're hitting right now, when you're when you're doing? Um, well, I mean, it's a lot of, I mean, we just, we just focus on ABA therapy. Alone, um, shoot. There are some parents who don't like ABA. We want other services. Some want natural healing type of situation. Some don't have Medicaid or Medicare or whatever have you to afford the services. Some do. And then, you know, they look at it like uh, it's three or four blocks up the street from my house, so the distance is too much. Or then the, uh, the therapy center is not staying open long enough. Or they're not giving the services that I would like to see for my child in this center. And my my thing is when people leave comments or remarks or say whatever they choose to say, um, versus whatever they feel about ADA or another service or whatever, whatever, because everybody ain't gonna like everything that uh, that anybody offers. So the, the thing is, if you're not willing to make a voice. If you're not willing to have a voice, if you're not willing to go to your Congress people, the local mayors, the local politicians, and make a voice on trying to make a change, and you cannot complain about anything. We we are not, we are not, we can't help the dice we're given, but we can help how we roll it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you don't like a certain a, a way that certain things is done in the service, then it's up to you to use your voice that your child don't have and become an advocate in your own city or your own county and help to make change for the stuff that you that you want in this ABA service. Have you had personal experience with ABA in your past? Well, well, I was telling Mr. Steven, um, see, back then, it may have been called ABA. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it, it wasn't, but in all the IEP meetings, all the therapy sessions, I never seen that on any of my my paperwork. I know I was with Berta Lupa from like four or five years old to like 22, 23, 22, 23 years old. She was my only therapist. So yeah, we went to the playroom. We did field trips. I mean, I don't know if they just do this stuff now, but we did field trips. It was just me and her. And like we went everywhere. She took me, she took me to my first beach. Like it was that deep. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And we still did therapy sessions where even though I couldn't speak, she allowed me to draw out my feelings. That's how I understood about what drawing out feelings were or coloring in my feelings. If, if red is for anger or blue is for, you know, I'm confused. Black is for I'm really out there. You know, whatever she, she it, was a, it was a different thing. So I, I had her for years. With her came Dr. King, the guy that used to give me my medication, 
and it gives my speech therapist by ordering my behavior rate, which they now call peer session. So it was it was a team, a collective of people that seen me pass my purpose. For any parent out there, if you don't see your child pass their pass their current situation, then no ABA therapy, no other service or anything is going to help anyway, because you have to see your child's vision before any other person sees it. How do you feel about the neurodiverse movement? And do you find support through that community? Uh, okay. For my knowledge, I need you to, if you can give me a little bit more information so I can answer your question correctly. Yeah. So like um, the neurodiverse community is, is gaining a lot of momentum. They're speaking out um, against Autism Speaks. They don't like the puzzle piece. They use a lot of different, like the infinity symbol. And they speak out a lot against, well, not all of them, but some of them are anti-ABA or anti-viewing autism as a disorder, I guess. I'm not sure. Oh, sorry. yeah. I, 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 okay, so I'm going to make this short and sweet and very clean at the moment. I have done dealt with a lot of those tech people, uh, read London, Dubai, America, whatever um, the, the location is. I even had people recently leave me death threats. Not saying it came from groups of Facebook or whatever, but these people sending me photos of uh, monkeys being killed, black little boys being hung, saying that they know they, they can find me where I live at. They don't want an African American trying to represent for autism. They want they don't like the puzzle piece. They want me to use the uh, colorful uh, other design. Um, I need to do more research stuff of that nature. And for a while, it really shook me. It did. But I have to, I had to understand that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for every individual, family, every person that has autism in the communities worldwide to help spread more inclusion, awareness, and acceptance for autism. And my thing is, I stand with the design. The butterfly one, the lighted up, whatever the, the design is, I don't have no problem with with the design. I per personally use the puzzle piece because it took 30, 30 something years to put my pieces of my life together. So that's personal for me. It's not to take away from anybody else's beliefs. It's not to push my beliefs on other people. I respect and honor every person's beliefs. But I can't please everybody. I can't. And I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to help be a voice. So for those that feel how they feel, I respect them. And I'm glad that they are making a voice on their opinion. But what we can't do is lose the fact that this is about autism, not individuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and as far as like ABA goes right now uh, and where you would like to see it go into the future, are there things that we could do better that you see advocating for these, you know, the uh, autistic people that we could be doing better? Um, I, I, I say more community outreach, more community programs, um, more awareness of it, um, offering services that ABA may feel like would be beneficial to these families, more services, listening 
I guess listening more to the community parents and different things of that nature that they want to see being done with ACA. And again, whether it's autism speech, ABA, or whatever, as far as markets, I can't pick a side because I feel like both sides are doing something impactful for the autism community. But what I will say is this, ABA been around for years, decades, stuff of that nature. This is not just a brand new situation. And rather, if they call themselves FBA, whatever their initials or lettering they call themselves, at the end of the day, they are making impactful work with the autism communities worldwide. And we just have to swallow our, our self-opinion. We just have to swallow them because we cannot lose sight that your kids, your adult children, your teenagers are getting benefits and getting help and, or getting help with ABA. So we just have to thank God to be beneficial and be thankful that ABA exists. So I will say that more co community interaction, more events, uh, giving more knowledge to people, more videoing, more stuff like this. Because through conversation, change can be made. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I feel like this is what we're really focusing on right now, right, is, is speaking with parents and, and people with autism, autistic people, however you want to define yourself, and, uh, and just trying to understand the barriers and, and how we can provide better services. Because, you know, I, I know the, the, the businesses I work with, you know, they just want to help, right? Like, like they're helpers. They, they just want to provide quality services. And so, you know, is there somewhere that they can go to help with that outreach? Like, should they be reaching out to you and you can point them in the right directions in their areas? Or is there, is there somewhere that they can go? Because I, I know even with my wife's company, it's, mm -hmm. we want to provide that outreach, but we don't really know where to go to provide that outreach. Um, so I think that number one is, is it has to be created. It's not really a website program or whatever that really has outreach with ABA community. So I think each individual ABA company, center, whatever have you, um, will have to create companies within their own community for as far as outreach. Because again, there's not a lot of that going on because it's like a nine to five Monday to Friday type of situation. We'll see your child, your adult, or whatever during this set during this set time, during the set date. But if y'all are doing community outreach events, it changes the minds of the community. So I think that we have to start in our local community, maybe the local mayor's office, the local councilman's office in your local community, and see if you can set up a program with your councilman and your mayor to be able to give out more community outreach with your company. Yeah, we've been uh, recommending like Chamber of Commerce for outreach. And I'm wondering, like, have you any experience with Chamber of Commerce? Do you find it helpful or, or is that something that you haven't really worked on? Um, I have spoken, um, spoken to the mayor of West Virginia, Georgia, and uh, Brooklyn, New York, as far as dealing with setting up different programs that would be beneficial for the autism community. And I'm not saying the Chamber of Commerce doesn't help. It's just that they a little slow. They move their feet a little slow. There's no, it's no shot or no disrespect. It's just they move their feet on stuff slower that's less important. 
to them. But you know, money or politics would be one or two. But outreaching or doing work for autism may be number 150. Sure. Um, do you have any advice for, you know, people that may be watching this that want to become mm -hmm. autism advocates? Like, how do they get into this? What advice do you have for, for people that are wanting to do this? Um, I just say, if you really want to do this, start with your local city, start with your local community, get, get involved with the people. Let the people know you start doing events, start having festivals or programs or whatever to let people know that you're here, you're advocating for autism. See, when I started this four years ago, it wasn't none of this stuff going on, but I chose to deal with you media as my helper because media is a, a vast around the world type of situation. And then God thought, bless me to win these major awards for me being an activist me going to all these different places, advocating and trying to help and stuff of that nature. So now it's a different type of situation because now, you know, when you are about to do Autism Digest and you've been on Fox, NBC and CBS and stuff of that nature, now the voice is speaks for itself. So it's not about fame, not about no money. It's about if you're going to do this for the rest of your life, and I'm not just advocating. I'm building programs and, and stuff and events and brands around autism. Maybe a clothing line, maybe a shoe line, maybe a music festival, maybe whatever it is, it's going to always be autism related first. Because we have to change the way that we see, look, and feel about autism. Because it's not just a just diagnosis. There's nothing wrong with you. There's brilliant, intelligent, genius people. Major people doing major things to autism. But once you get out of the diagnosis, once you get that out the way, now the legacy can begin. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, working with parents, we see the diagnosis. And I think Oswin Latimer said the same thing, right? Like it, it, it almost see like there's grief around that diagnosis. And and, and I, yeah, I agree. Like this doesn't have to be grief, right? Your child is still a wonderful human being. And how can we best use his or her uh, strengths to create, you know, a, a wonderful life? And I mean, you have proven like, again, again, against all odds, you, you've been able to shine. And I, I just like, again, I'm humbled and I can't, yeah, your story is uh, amazing. It needs to be a movie. Um. We, we, were, we, were, we were working on that October, October the short film um, that we're shooting in Atlanta will be out. Um, I'm working on a children's book, a comic strip, a comic book, um, a motivational um, tip. Um, and the movie will, should be out next year. And then we'll, next year we'll be working on a musical in Las Vegas. I mean, it's a lot of it's a it's a lot of stuff, but I will say, for any autism family, individual, or volunteer, or professional, or whatever, if you want to talk, need advice, need encouragement, need that strength, that positive push, then anybody can reach me on my cell phone number 520-330-0242. Again, it's 520-330-0242. 
330-0242. Call me. I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm not better than nobody else or anything. All I'm saying is I'm here. I believe in you. I support you. And I love every person with autism. Marcus, do you view your autism as an impairment or do you credit it for all your talents and your success? I praise God that you gave me autism. That's the best gift you ever gave me. Because if it wasn't for autism, where would I be? How would I speak? How would I have, how would I have you know, courage or self-confidence? See, I had to have autism to be able to understand deeply what each one of those things are. We all say we have self-esteem, we positive, and we love everybody. But are you still loving people when there is no self-esteem? You don't know how to be positive, and there's no encouragement. See, we, we, you, we have to go through the storm before the sun can come out. There's no way the sun can come out first, and then we're like, okay, it's going to rain a little bit. I'd rather get rained on first and dried off second. And, and, you know, the other piece um, is like the high level of abuse in, you know, especially with children with autism. And are you doing any work around that? Again, is there anything that, any area that we can help with in that? Well, all, all works are, are very difficult. As a matter of fact, like at first I have to go speak at the Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona, because the young lady Spanish young lady that had autism has been missing two years. Um, she's 15 years old, and you know that billboard stuff everywhere. So, is to be able to advocate to help bring this young lady home. And even with children being abused with autism, that's going to be a constant thing. That's going to be past my life, your life, or anybody else's life. But what me and my team are currently doing is trying to make webinars and series to be able to talk about how we are against and stand against child abuse of any kind. That was our conversation with Marcus Boyd. As I mentioned, um, this was part one of hopefully two, maybe three conversations with him. We'll see where it goes. Um, and if you would like to actually see the presentations that we do on, on these recordings, these podcasts, um, you can check out our website, www.3pisquare.com. Uh, click on ABA Business Leaders, and you will get a 12-month membership there. Uh, again, uh, 33 CEs um, along with you know, uh, our growing library of content around uh, building an ethical quality ABA practice. So I hope you enjoyed this talk. It was, on, uh, honestly, this is probably uh, one of my uh, <laughs> uh, most enjoyable conversations. Uh, I, I just, I think Marcus is just truly an exceptional person and I am so thrilled that he decided to come on and, and speak to us and I look forward to speaking to him again and uh, as I mentioned before but if there's um, you know any comments questions concerns uh, feel free to reach out to us at our links um, and um, if you have any feedback um, please reach out thank you